Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. Welcome back. In the last episode, the first one for American History in Podcast One, we started by looking at overarching ideas of America's view around the world. But I also mentioned the year 1492 as, again, dependent upon the type or quality of American history you had in high school and or social studies and grammar school, oftentimes educators simply start out with 1492 throw Columbus into the scene, and boom, he arrives in the Americas. But as I attempted to foreshadow in the first podcast, there was a lot of serious catastrophes that made 1492 possible. And in the last, towards the end of the last episode, I had again mentioned that there was three massive catastrophes that impacted the Western and Eastern European population. We're going to begin this podcast by discussing those briefly. For more detailed information on each one of these true catastrophes, you can listen to that on the other podcast that I have in world history when I begin to bring the Middle Ages to a close. So, in terms of the prelude to the era of discovery, I had mentioned before that Roman Catholicism was the driving force in Europe. It provided a relatively stable way of life. The Roman Catholic Church provided the answers that human beings felt that they needed to have answered within their lives. Thoughts and efforts in their individual lives were often focusing on the next life. The idea of asking the hows and the whys about the world around us, that by and large ended when the ancient world came to a close. Again, that's part of the reason why this roughly 1,000-year time period is called the Middle Ages. Middle implying that there is a beginning and then something afterwards. That's where we get the term middle. The more politically incorrect term, the Dark Ages, is that gives the idea of what was turned off, what light went out. Well, that was the light of human curiosity. That's what, by and large, took a back seat throughout the Middle-Aged era. So in order to get human beings to turn that academic light bulb on again, to ignite human curiosity, they truly were going to have to have their minds, their very lives, completely shaken to the core before an individual like Columbus could point west and wonder if he traveled that way, could he get to points east? So from there, we looked at the impact, as I say, of Roman Catholic thinking. So what we're going to do now is look at the first of the three events that's going to bring that mindset to a crashing close. The first event was the Hundred Years' War. The Hundred Years' War started in 1337 and lasted until 1453. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I think that's a little more than a hundred years' war. A hundred years there, Chris. Yeah, we'll leave it to the historians to play mathematicians for a moment. They get one opportunity to do that and they blow it up because it really was 116 years. But the Hundred Years' War 
was a war between Britain and France over the succession of the royal family to the French throne. England wanted to see the families unified. France had other ideas. And not to get into the nuances of that, again, I get more so into that in the podcasts on Middle Age history and the world history line of podcasts that I record. But it was a war, as I say, that ravaged the European population. It destroyed harbors, it destroyed good arable land, and the episodes of the conflict came and went. Yes, the, the uh, war did at times take a back seat where there was no activity. Most of the time, though, that's because they were in the uh, dire throes of severe winters. When the weather started to turn warm again, the conflicts would erupt again. So it had a devastating impact on the European population. What was especially traumatic to the average John and Jane Doe Europeans was the fact that the Roman Catholic Church actually took sides. They funneled the opportunities, sought opportunities to assist England under the reign of one pope, but then would be succeeded by another pope who switched his allegiances and jumped on the French side. And they could go back and forth with that. So faith in the Catholic Church started to decline as the Hundred Year War raged. Again, you've got 116 years, but this is just the beginning of the catastrophes that's going to bring the Middle Ages to a close. In all of my podcasts, I promise you, I will never use a sports analogy other than this one time. When I know about sports, you could write on the back of a postage stamp, seriously. But I do know this. Three strikes and you're out. For the Roman Catholic human population, confidence in the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope's plain politics with such a devastating effect on the neg- negative effect on the human population, Roman Catholic faith started to decline. People started to question why Pope's we're jumping in bed with politicians and playing sides. Again, strike one. The Black Death would have started just 10 years later in 1347. The origin still to this day is unknown, but city sprawl was the catalyst for rapid spread. The onset of the element you are more than familiar with already because you sang it as a kid when you grabbed hands with your classmates in kindergarten and maybe first grade and went around in a circle and sang Ring Around the Rosie. That was the actual physical description of the onset of this ailment. Bring that ailment along with ignorance and fear and chaos, and you can jump to some serious, cruel conclusions. The reality, though, was as people were dying from this agonizing painful, as well as agonizing to look at these people that were dying with these pustules all over their body, anywhere from 25 to 33 percent of the entire population was wiped out as the episodes of this, at this time would be now called pandemic, was ebbing and flowing. So from there, in some cases, entire towns were wiped out of the population. The Roman Catholic Church not only didn't have answers in how to stop it, looking back, how could you have expected them to? But the people were looking to the church for answers as they had been for the last 1,000 years. And not only are the Roman Catholic Church seemingly divided between the French versus the British side in the ongoing Hundred Years' War, but the fact that they don't have answers 
and are also suffering from the effects of the plague. Confidence and faith in the Catholic Church further declined. Strike two. The final blow came 30 years later in 1377, when prior to that, the seat of the Roman Catholic Church, which had been in Rome, going back to the Emperor Constantine in the 300s AD, from the years 1309 to 1376, the capital of the Roman Catholic Church was moved out of Rome proper to Avignon, France. Now, please know that that land in France was Roman Catholic territory given to them over a half a millennium ago by Charlemagne. So the Roman Catholic Church was still on their own territory, but the problem with Avignon is that it was an unbelievably posh and luxurious area. It was the lap of luxury, and was in no way where these Roman Catholic popes and their subsequent supporting cardinals and bishops living in any way the kind of life that the average common European was living. So that also started to break confidence within the Roman Catholic population. Pope Gregory XI was aware of this and reinstated Rome as the capital. However, it's one thing for the Pope to do it. It's another thing to get his cardinals and bishops to want to leave that area of a posh lifestyle, only to go back to Rome proper, where it was dark and dingy and dirty. As a result, the arrogant Urban VI succeeded Gregory XI, and many of his alienated supporters, those high-ranking cardinals that didn't want to be back in Rome anyhow, they took that as the perfect opportunity to sneak out of Rome and back to Avignon and elect their own pope, which would be Clement VII. So effectively, what had happened is that the Roman Catholic leadership at the highest of levels, split into two. We have Urban VI in Rome and Clement VII in France. This is what would become known as the Great Papal Schism, schism which is no more than a fancy word for split. Is there anything more devastating to the common followers who are looking for answers and leadership from the Roman Catholic Church only to find out that the division is, is split into two? Could anything be worse? Actually, there could. Because while neither pope would step down because of the other, and the national powers that be supporting one pope versus the other, the population, troubled with this lack of unity, faith in the Catholic Church split even further when a third pope was elected simultaneously. That's what was the final death blow to the human population. When the faith in the Catholic Church plummeted even further with three different popes claiming to be the actual pope, that, folks, was strike three. So, quick review here to bring this together. The Great Papal Schism, again, starts in 1377. By the time it gets to its peak of this soap opera-type dynasty breakdown, there will be three popes to choose from that are considering each one themselves the legitimate pope. So can you imagine Johnny and Jane Commoner 
praying under the leadership, say, of Urban VI versus Clement VII, can you imagine looking at those two popes, finding out, wait a minute, there's another one. Yes, John the Twenty-Third. John, which was one of the most popular names that popes had adopted, and the number in his succession was 23. Now, if you really know your church history, you're probably jumping on your phone to text me and say, hey, Chris, or email me that, no, 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 couldn't have been John the 23rd, because John the 23rd reigned in the 1900s. You are correct. When the Roman Catholic Church attempted to put this brutal part of its own history behind itself, or shall we say, under the rug, they reinstated some of these names that these antipopes used. John the Twenty-Third was put back into the mix of the next available names. For almost a half a millennium, no incoming pope would dare to touch the name John until one did in 1958, and he would bring us what is still known today as Vatican II, opening up the church in brand new ways that his predecessors may never have thought would have been possible. So John the 23rd is a name, John period, is a name that brings a lot of change when these cardinals are elected pope and elect to take the name John. To date, of course, we don't have a 24, so it's still John the 23rd is our latest. So within this, though, with this great papal schism, Johnny and Jane Commoner trying to follow the leadership of Urban VI and forcing their children to do the same. And they die either as a result of the Hundred Years' War, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or the family dies as a result of the, of the bubonic plague. Who wants to be going up on that up escalator, going towards those golden gates of St. Peter standing in front of it with this huge book and say, hey, here come the Smiths, wonderful the Smiths that you've been following, the Pope, the uh, teachings of Pope Urban uh, Clement VII, Oh, I'm sorry, family. You were following Urban VI. No, he wasn't the right pope. No, that was Clement VII. Sucks to be you. Down on the down escalator, you go. Admittedly, I am saying this in a trivial, if not humorous way, but this was the real concern on the mindset of the people at the time. Let's again review the years. Even though I never test on years in my college classes, this is one time noticing these years is significant. On a minor note, interesting that the lucky number in human society in the Western world is seven. If I asked you to put in the number when most people say, yep, let me roll and hope I get a lucky most people would say seven. It's interesting that the term seven was even allowed to continue on because each one of these catastrophic events started in a sevens. In other words, going back once again, the Hundred Years War, 1337, Black Death, 47, Papal Schism, 77. But what I'm hoping you might have picked up too is the importance of the chronology of events. It's not which came first. That didn't matter. It's the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that these three cataclysmic events, I review them one more time, 1337, 47, and 77. What I'm getting at is all of these events happened in one person's lifetime. 
Admittedly, getting up to the age of 40 was a significant accomplishment in the 1300s, but plenty and many did. So can you imagine a 10-year-old boy when he first witnesses this 100 years war starting? He's 10 years old. If he was born in 1327, he's 10 years old now and sees the effects of this 100 years war start to play out. He's scared. And as a teenager sees that the Roman Catholic Church, A, is not doing anything to stop it, but B, is taking sides. Now, 10 years later, when he's 20 years old, he's being ravaged or his family's being ravaged by the Black Death. And once again, the Roman Catholic Church isn't doing anything about it, nor can they. In fact, they're becoming victims of it as well. And then finally, when he, in 1377, when he's 50 years old, the very same Roman Catholic Church that he had always showed his allegiance to is now not only split in two, but it's split in three. What can he possibly do now? He's certainly trying to protect maybe his kids that have survived to adulthood, maybe his grandkids from trying to protect them from the Hundred Years' War, protect them from the bubonic plague, trying to pray to Jesus Christ for the teachings of who? John the 23rd? Clement the seventh or Urban the sixth? Which one? This is what forces folks, the human population, to finally abandon putting 100% of their faith into the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. It also plummeted their confidence in the establishment of any legitimate government because they can go to war on a dime and then the people in the wrong place at the wrong time pay the price for that. So the human population, by the end of the 1300s, beginning of the 1400s, finally turned to the last person in human society they trusted, the last person who in their minds would never let them down again or at any time in the future. It was the only person left that they could trust. You want to take a gamble on who that person might be? It's the person that's listening to this podcast. Yeah, you, the commoners. They finally looked towards themselves once again for answers. If the Hundred Years' War destroyed two of that 50-year-old man or woman's houses, and the Roman Catholic Church couldn't put a stop to it, if that 50-year-old man or woman that lived through these three catastrophic events also sees that the Roman Catholic Church couldn't do anything about it, then you know what, Father so-and-so? You know what, Your Highness, Your Excellency, Your Holiness? If you can't give me answers to stop this plague, if you can't give me and provide the answers to stop this war, then I'm going to turn into myself for these answers. I'm going to ask how and why. And you know what? If you threaten me with excommunication, if you point to the door and say, there's the door of hell, if you dare to leave the Roman Catholic Church in the sense of your search for answers, then you know what? Don't bother. I'll get the door myself. Because how many of these parents then, how many of the parents today, especially in the raging pandemic of 2020, how many parents would gladly take that pandemic on, that disease on, if it could possibly save their children. So back then in the 1370s, with the Roman Catholic Church being split into two and then three, if me trying to get the answers to stop the plague and the war winds me up in, in hell, 
I'll gladly take that trip if it can save my children's lives today. These are the three cataclysmic events that brings the Middle Ages to a crashing close. These are the events that's going to launch simultaneously the Age of Exploration, the Age of the Renaissance, the Age of the Protestant Reformation, quickly following the Age of the Enlightenment, and on and on and on. You think that that's a coincidence? That how many ages come right on the heels of an age that lasted 1,000 years called the Middle or Dark Ages? Not at all. These massive events, these ages, exploration, Protestant Reformation, Renaissance, Enlightenment, on and on, these ages are only possible because of a human population that was daring to ask how and why once again. Please note, the Roman Catholic Church, as we know, does not cease to exist. They don't get put out of existence, not at all. But they are going to have more massive competition later on now, because the very same people that are questioning the Roman Catholic Church now, they're going to draw their own conclusions, and it's going to lead some of them to protest some of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and some of their activities that they engage in on a daily basis. And when somebody, somebody protests that, that's your root word for what eventually will become called Protestantism. The Protestant movement at its root is a series of protests. More about that again in my World History podcast. But this is the reason why when I ended the first podcast, when I said before we can get to 1492, if you go nothing, listen, nothing, nowhere further in my podcast and you were to stop it right here, you, you at least will walk away knowing that 1492 was no accident. 1492 was the result of millions of Europeans dying as a result of the Hundred Years' War and the Bubonic Plague. It was also the result of a Roman Catholic Church's structural integrity being knocked down several notches permanently. The current Roman Catholic Pope is Francis. He is not known as Francis I because a cardinal that takes a brand new name does not refer to themselves as one. If later on a cardinal were to take the name Francis, that cardinal would then be referred to as Francis II. But the current pope is Francis. He is the 266th pope. Now, when I say 266 in the history of the Roman Catholic Church, those are 266 legitimate popes that the Roman Catholic canon historical law acknowledges. That does not include the more than 33 antipopes that have existed throughout Roman Catholic history. We will never see three the way they did in the great papal schism of the 1370s, but there were many times before and after the great papal schism that two popes will exist simultaneously, each considering themselves the legitimate pope. But right now, Columbus is just itching to get onto his ship ships in order to answer the question, can I get to Asia by heading west? 
that's what's going to take us into what becomes known as the age of exploration. So we're getting very close to 1492 with Columbus able to set sail. But we also now want to look at that because we understand now that 1492 was in no way an accident, that in fact, the age of exploration was also possible because of the motivation of the then current population in Europe in the 1480s and 90s to dare to explore the world. Keep in mind up to this point throughout Europe, they have no idea, the then population in Europe in the 1490s, they have no idea that there is a North and South American continent on a third of the way around the world. They have not yet seen where the continent of Africa ends in the South. Sailors at this time, they tried as much as possible to, to sail only within sight of the land because to traipse away from that would be to get too close in those far open ocean to what, again, going back to ancient history, those scholars have said, is the edge of the world because, of course, it's flat. So motivation, there's going to be four primary ones. Number one is curiosity. People are now have the mental freedom to dare to ask, can I go to the eastern parts of Asia by traveling west? They're free to ask that now. They're not worried about if there's a Roman Catholic priest that can answer that. They're not worried about if they can find that answer in the Bible. And if they can't, then the question's not worth asking. No, no, that ship, pun intended, that sailed. That freedom of the human mind is raging now. Columbus is also, it's the only way he was able to sell his idea to the royal monarchs in Europe to try to find a sponsor, is if he could establish faster trade routes. Currently, trading between Eastern and Western Europe and China was expensive. You had to go over bodies of water and then up over land and then back into rivers and bodies of water. Insurance rates were sky high, sometimes dependent upon the goods that were being transported. So if there could be an all-water route from the coast of Western Europe to Asia, that could be financially extremely lucrative. There was also the religious recruitment opportunities, as well as, of course, for religious freedom. By 1492, Protestant ideas were certainly making themselves felt throughout, especially Southern Europe. As a result of that, certain people were looking for recruiting opportunities. Other people just wanted to get, wanted to get out of Europe, over, getting overcrowded at that point, and look for an opportunity to express their own religious freedom. So that was the third reason. And then the fourth one, just as important, was, of course, that attraction of dollar signs. If in Columbus's route to Asia, he came across new island nations, that could be a potential body of consumers. So that spells dollar signs, which also then was attractive to the royal family in Europe. Remember, again, I'm saying royal families, plural. We mythically believe that Columbus scratched his head, got out of the bed one morning, went to Spain, knocked on Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain's door and said, hey, I need some bread. I need some money there in order to answer this question. No, Ferdinand and Isabella wasn't even the first royal family he knocked on the door of. More about that in the next podcast. That said, motivation, that's important. Hands down, that's important. And Columbus has it. He's got that curiosity. He has that background knowledge of the, of the uh, sea routes through Asia as well as in Western Europe. Those motivations are important, but we also know that motivation by itself isn't enough. And Columbus initially is going to have to learn this the hard way. 
But Columbus is going to learn it the hard way, somewhat in the same way or fashion that you or I might have learned it. You see, when we begin the next podcast, again, we're going to find out that, sorry, Columbus, motivation's wonderful, definitely necessary to embark on something new, but it's not enough. So between now and the next podcast, here's what I'd like to you to think about. When you were a kid, again, you don't have to email me with an answer to this. This is between you, yourself, and you, the three of you. Remember those clubhouses that we wanted to build? Or if we were really adventurous, tree houses? The way we looked up in that tree or those couple of trees in our backyard or maybe in an open field and looked up in that tree and pictured our tree house, and what did we see? We saw freedom. Ladies, if you're listening to this, that could be a world where you could put a sign on the door saying no men allowed. And guys, we could do the same thing. No girls allowed, right? If we were before our teenage years, right? We loved the idea of that treehouse. How many of us actually built one? How many of us built the one that we saw in our own minds? Think about that. If you weren't into the treehouse building business, How about the second and final example? How many of you, come on, admit it, how many of you had a lemonade stand? How many of you sold products from your own basement in a mini garage sale, hoping to make big bucks? But let's get back to that lemonade stand. How many of us, when we set that up, were we picturing huge dollar signs? We were going to be the next Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, right? Forget going to school. Forget getting a job. We're going to make all the money we want and need right in the end of mom and dad's driveway. Well, a reality question. How many of us really did make that large amount of money? I want you to think of those two examples because that's what we're going to start with next when we get to the next podcast on trying to get Columbus off of the coast of Europe to answer his question if there's an all-water and faster route to Asia. So thank you for listening. Between now and the next podcast, please go to my website, ceconsella.com. Email me with any questions or comments you might have, especially book recommendations. And if you like what we discussed, please leave me a positive review as well. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day.